Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Welcome to a special Monday night edition of The Ringer. I'm Sirit Sohi. I'm here with Michael Pina. And my God, the uh, the Sacramento Kings lighting the beam twice. Twice in one playoff series. Did not see that coming. Up 2-0 against the Golden State Warriors. We're going to get into this right away. One of the single worst performances I've seen from the Warriors. Kind of par for the course for this season, though. Uh, a lot to get into, Mike. What did, what did you think? I'm just I'm processing my initial shock right now. I'm just a little flabbergasted by this game. Shock is a terrific word for it. Processing another great word. I I don't even know where to begin. I'm stunned that they lost this game. It was there for it was like a typical uh, quintessential uh, Warriors have the Kings where they want them. They were down three with like three minutes to go. I just expected Steph Curry and Clay, Clay Thompson hit two huge threes. Um, they tied the game. Draymond was ejected. It just, it the vibes felt like the Warriors were going to win. They just had to win. This was the game, the type of game that they always have won throughout their entire dynastic run. And I mean, for them to lose, I just don't even know what what NBA is this? What world is this? The Sacramento <laughs> Kings are up to nothing in a playoff series against the Golden State Warriors. I don't even know what to make of it. Well, maybe maybe we should have seen this coming. Uh, maybe we should have taken the fact that they have the higher seed <laughs> and that the Warriors have basically been struggling to to play 500 basketball all season, especially on the road. Maybe we should have taken that as a hint. But it's you know we. It's hard because I, th- I think we we go down hard with the with the dynasties, right? It's it's hard to see when uh, it's just like they haven't flipped the switch, and when things are really changing. I I think let's 
Let's talk about the third quarter. I think the third quarter is when things really, really fell apart for the Warriors. Uh, we start with just an incredible just succession of, and wow, oh, yeah, obviously I'd say succession right now of, uh, of fouls. You get basically, I think we have, we have three fouls in a row. Uh, Draymond Green picks up his fourth foul, fouling Barnes on a three. I think that's a point where I was like, oh, this is really bad for them. One of the, one of the worst fouls of his whole career, honestly. Honestly, honestly. And then we, we haven't even got to the one that ended up kicking him out of the game. Um, but then Steve Kerr, Checks Moses Moody into the game, which at that point you kind of know they're in trouble because they're just they're just trying stuff. And then Looney gets his arm caught up with Sabonis. They call him for his fifth. And honestly, they could have called him for his fifth foul. I think a lot earlier in that game. I think the the scars on uh, on Demontis Sabonis uh, will uh, will attest to that. But it was just it was a brutal brutal start. We have like a Wiggins travel. Um, it's, it was kind of like the stretch of the game as well. They just get off four turnovers, turnovers in a row. And, uh, yeah, then they spend, they spend basically like the, the next 10 minutes of, of the quarter in foul trouble and, uh, and in the bonus, they get into the bonus with 10, 18 left Mm -hmm. in the third quarter. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Have you, I can't recall five personal fouls in like under two minutes, just incredible stuff. Um, a lot of guys were in foul trouble. Looney was in foul trouble. Draymond, obviously. I'm kind of, should we, should we start with, or I guess just pick up with the stomp? I feel I, I don't even know mm-hmm. what it was the biggest play of the game. Maybe that wasn't it. That's definitely the play that people are going to be talking about the most. Draymond was ejected from the game when I guess there's a pol- already developing a polarizing point of view on this where Sabonis is laying on the ground and clearly holds Draymond's leg, which is not a basketball move at all. And he was called for a flagrant foul for it. And Draymond responded by stomping on his chest. So like what, 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 what's going through your head when this play unfolds and did you anticipate Draymond getting ejected? Just what were you thinking there? Can I just say that the whole thing felt like an accident? You know, I just, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I just didn't read a lot of intention into that at all. You know, like Sabonis was on the floor. He's spent most of the game on the floor. He's got his arms wrapped around Draymond's legs, but it also just kind of feels like that's where he landed. And he was, he was like, he was like, you know, just, it was like Draymond's legs were just like the, the only port in the storm left for him like he just he was like a baby he needed to hang on to something it just felt like a very carnal childish response in a way and then Draymond I don't think Draymond meant to step on him you know like it looked actually originally like Draymond looked saw that DeMontis was under him and was like oh shit he's under me let me not do anything to hurt the guy right but Uh he gets his leg grabbed and you know bodies do things Bodies what do, you do, do things. What did you do? You're um, laughing, so no. I mean, I just I, I immediately thought back to Louis Scola. I don't even know when that was him getting stomped, and I actually don't even remember who stomped on Louis Scola. Maybe Louis Scola was doing the stomping. I honestly can't even remember. But that's the first thing that flashed through my head. Um, I, you know. Jim Jackson said on the broadcast that it was intentional right away, which kind of caught me off guard. I, I don't recall. Uh, uh, color commentator saying that about a player. Um, 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was trying to step on his chest there, uh, j- j- dislodging his leg from Sabonis's grasp, and uh, you know, had to push himself up and into freedom. But yeah, it's Draymond Green. Like, it's not like this is the first time we've been to this rodeo with him. This feels a little bit like confirmation bias. It could be. It could be one hundred percent. But. Yeah, gets ejected. I kind of anticipated him getting ejected. I tweeted the second that it happened that he was going to get ejected. That's just seemed like the logical next step there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, but uh, I, I guess we're 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 going to have to agree to disagree on that one. But like, where where where, where do we go? I, I, my brain is so frazzled right now. Like, where do we <laughs> go from that flagrant foul and that ejection? in this game, like who is the hero? De'Aaron Fox was amazing down the stretch. They just could not stop him. Every time Andrew Wiggins or Gary Payton, the second was on the bench when Fox was on the court, I just, I'm screaming at Steve Kerr on my couch. Like what is, what is happening? Like one of those guys has to be on the court when De'Aaron Fox is on the court. He was just amazing. Yeah. And it shouldn't be Andrew Wiggins. Like Wiggins can't guard him. I don't, no, know I don't, who, I don't know who him. alive. I don't know who alive can guard De'Aaron Fox right now. I mean, he's just an absolute blur. The floater's going. He had the huge spot up three um, with under two minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Kind of a dagger. I, I mean, he, he's just playing fearless basketball right now. And I just, I, I don't, I don't recall anyone like performing against the Golden State Warriors like he has in these first two games, which, by the way, are, are his the first two playoff games of his entire career. Like, I, I don't even know what to say about him. He's just, he's been an absolute monster. Oh, he's obviously been waiting a long time for this moment. That's, there's no question about that. But yeah, look, in the, in the regular season, um, you know, De'Aaron Fox, 46 actions against Wiggins, uh, scored 1.167 or generated 1.167 points uh, per per possession. And that went up in game one. It was 1.375. I think Gary Payton is the only guy on this team that has even a shot at guarding him. And I think Gary Payton, if you, if you make that his only mission in life, I think that, you know, going into game three, this can look like a different series for the Warriors. But, you know, at the same time, like there's a reason that Darren Fox was, is probably going to win clutch player of the year. He should win it. He's just impossible. Oh, he's going and to win. He's going to he's win. He's absolutely yes. going to win. He's absolutely going to win. Uh, but he hits, he hits shots that are just really difficult to account for. You know, like there is just like the, the mid range accuracy, but also just his floaters. Like he shoots over 50% on his floaters. I think it's probably about time that the warriors get, you know, smart to that. I think Kavon Looney should have been going, being like way, way, way higher on those pick and rolls. Like, probably after the first half in game one, the fact that it's game, it was, you know, game two and that hadn't happened yet uh, was an issue. And then I, you know, I also really feel like by the fourth quarter, especially on offense, by the time that the Warriors started to figure out what they need to do, uh, they were just, they were just out without the guys that they needed too. you know, really sloppy game from the golden state warriors, which has kind of been their MO all season. Um, Just a ton of terribly timed turnovers, a ton of missed box outs, uh, at one point I tweeted this, but the Kings were grabbing like 48% of their, like their offensive rebound rate was 47.9% with like two minutes to go in the third quarter. That's like good, that right? is just, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, just like unheard of stuff. And I understand that everyone was in foul trouble for the Warriors, but 
Like box someone out, please. Like Gary Payton the second had a tip in down the stretch. Moses Moody had a put back. Those were huge plays. But Wiggins has just been like only one offensive rebound tonight. That's kind of been his calling card. It was his calling card in last year's postseason and kind of needs to be for this team to be successful, creating second chance opportunities, but only four defensive rebounds for him. Um, and I don't know, like the Kings, I feel like they should have won this game by like 25 points, like shot the ball terribly from behind the three point line. Kevin Herter couldn't make anything for a decent stretch. We just like lauded De'Aaron Fox and he finished two for 10 behind the three point line. Um, the team shot nine for 38, 23.7%. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Um, Barnes over four. Right. So like they were attacking, they were getting downhill. They were finishing at the basket. Um, they were obviously drawing fouls, uh, but just, they dominated the possession game like nobody's business. And when you watch that unfold, sometimes it was not reflective of the scoreboard, but they just couldn't hit shots. And so if I'm golden state, I don't know how I feel going into game three. I don't know if I should feel confident. I don't know if I should feel like the series. I don't, I know they're not feeling like the series is over because they're the Warriors. They have a ton of pride. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking right now down for the Warriors down? O2? Like, is this, is this it right now for them? No. So, uh, the only warrior, so the, the warrior that came in highest in rebounds was Kevon Looney. He had seven, uh, which that's just bad. That's horrible. Especially when you, after game one, you know, that's the emphasis. I was listening to Draymond's podcast this morning. He talks about how that's the emphasis. You know, I like to do my homework, Mike. Uh, but I'm impressed. <laughs> so they, they, wait, they go in and they know that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, I have to go back and watch, but it really felt like a lot of, especially Sabonis's bo- box outs, his rebounds, his tips were not boxing out, you know, just straight up, not boxing out. Like, and that is just, you know, execution wise, that's just pretty disappointing from a team that, after a loss, historically, has bounced back really, really well. Uh, I think this is one of the best teams tactically at bouncing back from a loss, which is part of the reason I'm not going to, you know, not going to count them out. And they're going back home, which is, I mean, evidently just a bus ride, which is nice for an older team, too. Uh, but on that <laughs> note, I kind of wonder if they need to just change, change tactics altogether. Like, one of the things that I feel like the Warriors have to be realizing from this is just what the rest of the league is known for a really long time, which is that it's really hard to play against this team like the Warriors. And they haven't really had to deal with a team that can like kind of cause the same problems that they cause. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, keeping them out of transition. I mean, in the second half for the second straight game, Sacramento was just running off makes and misses and got a ton of really great looks Thought they were super aggressive in the open floor. Um, I'm just looking at like the minutes for golden state right now and who played when, and like Dante DiVincenzo, 13 minutes, Jordan pool, 15 minutes. Jordan pool was, uh, you know, just terrible again. Really tough, tough 15 minutes for my guy. Just not, not good. Kaminga came in and just got dusted like three times by Darren Fox and then four minutes of playing time. That's it for him. So I, I feel like it's, you mentioned Moody, Moody earlier and he played basically because of Draymond picking up that fourth foul early in the, in the second half. I just don't know where you turn. And maybe that's like you said at the top, 
we should have seen this coming. Like this is this roster and I don't know, like Steph could have obviously shot the ball better tonight. Three for 13 from behind the three point line. That's not a Steph Curry game. I thought he closed really well, particularly inside the arc, but I don't know. Like they, they have to win a game in Sacramento to win the series. Obviously mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if they can. I, I'm not I, I, like, is I, I kind of have a feeling like this series is over and that the Sacramento Kings are just straight up a better basketball team. And coming into the playoffs, I, you know, I, I picked warriors and six primarily because it, I mean, it's the warriors, but also Sacramento's defense was like atrocious all season long. And it's not like their defense has been amazing, but their ability to just create second chance opportunities on the offensive glass has like totally turned the tides in the series. The NBA playoffs are here and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA right now and place a $5 bet and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The Bucks are favored by nine against the Heat tomorrow and with Giannis Antetokounmpo's status still in question, we still don't really know what version of it we're going to get. It. That just feels a little high to me. I'd probably take the Heat on that. Even if the Bucks win, I feel like nine is just a little high there. So there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. Gambling helpline MA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369 in New York. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. You know, it's not like Sacramento's defense has been amazing, but I also feel like the Warriors aren't really punishing them where they should be punishing them. And maybe this is part of the pathway into the Warriors turning this into a series. Uh, But for all the things that Sacramento is bad at on defense, they're one of the better handoff teams like defending the handoff. Uh, They've got a lot of quick guards. Mm -hmm. They're just super slithery. Uh, Davion Mitchell exists. Oh my God. He was amazing. He he, like just a ridiculous performance from him. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's two games in a row of really good defense on on Steph too. And we have had many a playoff series where we have credits credited a defender for their good defense on Steph only to watch uh, Steph completely dust them. So (laughs) it is a little early to say that, but I do feel like, you know, because of his strength, because of his quickness he's just he has an ability to bother Steph in a way that a lot of other guys don't and that's that's one of the big reasons that they've been able to 
be up in this series. But I also, you know, I look at that that fourth quarter. You mentioned that Steph was really good closing. Um, a certain point, I think three about three minutes left in the fourth quarter, the uh, the Kings start blitzing Steph, but you no longer have Draymond Green on the court, and you know it just doesn't go that well without Draymond Green on the court, right? Like they need they need that release valve, and I wonder if the method going into into Game Three is just like Full Metal Steph, you know, just let him isolate, <laughs> let him, you know, if if they aren't gonna blitz, or even if they are gonna blitz, let let Draymond play four on three, just run a lot of pick and roll, like kind of just let him do his thing because I feel like that's the place where you can catch the Kings and make them a little vulnerable. It's also a good way to try to get Sabonis into foul trouble. Mm-hmm. And that solves kind of, kind of some of your issues on the other end. Cause this was just like, man, talk about a tale of two games for Sabonis, right? Like just after struggling in game one, he's historically struggled against Looney and Draymond, just completely turning around to the point where now he has those guys in foul trouble. So maybe there's a way to kind of reverse course on that. But overall, like I just kind of feel like the Warriors can't play their regular game against the Kings. I felt like that after game one, I wondered if they'd switch things up after game two and they, or during game two and they just kind of haven't, they, they played the way that they usually play. And I almost feel like, okay, you got to solve the offensive rebounding issue. You might want to change your rotation to do that. And let's get, let's get more Gary Payton in there. Let's get him, you know, pretty much in all the minutes, all the minutes that De'Aaron Fox is playing. No one else can defend him. And, you know, just sacrifice some of that zip because that's like, the thing is when you do that, you're just feeding into what the Kings are, are really good at. And I think if you try to bog this down, then the Warriors, while they don't love to play that way, I think they have an advantage over the Kings in that regard. Like their half court offense in game one, the Kings generated 94.9 points per possession in half court in game one. And, and Golden State had 112. Now those numbers have evened out a little bit in game two, but I think game one is probably a good indication for how things would go. Uh, not to say, I mean, obviously... The Kings have an incredible half-court offense, but um, I just think the Warriors have, would have a lot more luck in a game that was just a little bit more tactical, I guess. Do you think that the Warriors should start Gary Payton the second? And if so, I mean, the guy who's going to the bench is Kevon Looney. You're putting Draymond at the five. You're having Draymond guard Sabonis from the jump. You're putting GP2 on Fox. And then you're kind of letting the matchups filter from there. Curry can be on Keegan Murray, whoever. Um, like, is that, do you think that that is what they should do here? Or are they, like, you just can't sacrifice the glass any more so mm-hmm. than you already have. And Looney is just so critical on the offensive glass in particular. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his defense on Sabonis has been like, really good. I mean, you could some of these fouls here and there like pretty hit or miss and I'm not going to say some of them. I'm just thinking of like a couple in my head that were just like like Kevon Looney is never expressive and he was getting in his feelings for some of these whistles in a way that I was like, I was probably a bad call. Um, He's kind of stone fans actually. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So like, do you think they will make a... I mean, Steve Kerr is known, especially when their backs are against the wall, mm-hmm. he is known to shift the his rotations and change his starting five. I could see that happening. I really could. 
I definitely could too. Uh, I think my only question on the curb point is that these changes that we're talking about would necessitate them getting away from a style of basketball that he loves. Mm -hmm. So that just becomes a question to me. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's obvious that, that we need some level of change. We also just got a tweet from Woj saying that, uh, Sabonis is undergoing x-rays on his ribs slash lungs, um, getting evaluated after Draymond Green stepped on him in game two. And there are a lot of people in the comments correcting Woj, letting, letting, uh, letting him know that the correct term is actually stomped. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, yeah, uh, it's kind of a bummer that that's going to be all that everyone's talking about mm -hmm. when like the basketball in this series is honestly like, I can't believe this is a first round series. I'm so hyped. I love watching every possession of this matchup and like <laughs> the fact that that's all everyone's going to talk about for the next two days or whatever game three is kind of stinks, uh, is what it is, I guess. But, um, no, I think that like going back to just like the lineup change, there was one play um, down the stretch where after Draymond got uh, ejected, Looney comes up to set the pick, the, the the screen for Steph. They blitz it, as you said. Steph gives it to Looney, and Gary Payton the second is in the dunker spot, and it's just like. The floor is just so cramped. Like every king was in the paint. They kick out to, I think, Clay in the strong side corner. He can't do anything with it. Like, I, I feel like the space, like Gary Payton hit a couple corner threes tonight and he had some big ones in the finals last year. No one guards him. And mm -hmm. I do wonder, like, playing Draymond and GP2 for big minutes could be a little tricky. Um, They've made that work offensively before, and it's mm -hmm. definitely a boon for them defensively. So I, I just don't know. I, I'm just like kind of struggling to like, maybe they just play better. Maybe they just hit more shots. Maybe they just clean up some issues on the glass, foul less, et cetera. And they're fine. And they win the next two and go back to Sacramento and all the pressures on the Kings to win in front of their home fans. Like, but I don't know. I could totally see Sacramento winning one of these next two games. And then mm -hmm. I guess that could be a wrap for, for the Golden State Warriors. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a thing with Sacramento too, right? Like they are just such an explosive team that, you know, you can come up with a great game plan and you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, I feel like I'd rather see Peyton with the starters because I think he plays really well off of them. The more space you can create around him, the more that he can kind of get points in the paint. If you have him with someone like Draymond, that's great because Draymond is going to see every passing angle that there is and, and he's going to notice cutters. And I would just say that there's members of the Golden State bench that aren't necessarily as good at doing that. And I, th I think like when you look at the bench scoring <laughs> discrepancy in this, uh, in, in this series so far is like, you know, I think Jordan Poole has just got to be taking a hard look at, in the mirror right now. I, he's just got to be a lot better, you know. Like Malik Monk is looking around like, I'm the real Jordan Poole. Like that's, and that's really what he's been for this entire series so far. So that's a, that's, that's another end of it too. Like the, the bench overall is just way outplaying. You know, Alex Len was not quite the revelation that he was in game one, but just the fact that he could give them eight minutes was pretty huge. And, you know, Trey Lyles again, not what he was, but just being able to, you know, be, be on the floor and, you know, Kerr with his rotation. I, I don't know. Like, we'll, as we'll see what happens. Uh, Kaminga got like four minutes out there too. So I don't mm -hmm. know. Alex Len plus seven, just God level. St 
stuff from him again. I don't know what is I don't know what is happening, but this series is just so wild. Well, we all talked about in the preseason how like, you know, the Alex Len was going to be the reason that, that the Golden State Warriors dynasty ended. No, I actually pitched a 2000 word feature on him coming to the playoffs, but my editor just didn't didn't think it was a great idea, unfortunately. Once again, just thwarted by Matt Dollinger. Um I should Jordan Poole just be taken out of the rotation or am I being too whoa. harsh? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is a Jordan Poole friendly house here. I'm not sure if you know this. I'm sticking with my boy. You know, I've I've got patience. It's been a tough year for him, but you know, it's it's been happen. a tough year. It's bodies, been a tough year. Bodies do things. Is my analysis sure. of Jordan Poole. <laughs> uh, Eddie, do you have any more uh, parting thoughts on this series before we move on to to the other game today? Um, no, it's just it's a blast. Uh, I just I cannot wait for Game Three. I can't wait to see the fight that the Warriors. I could see the Warriors blowing them out. I could see the Warriors. I don't, I don't want to say fold, but I could see Sacramento really bringing it to them. I think Sabonis and Fox have just been, or at least tonight, they just have like a lot of metal and a lot of confidence. And how will Monk, how will the bench play on the road is a question that I also want to see. Like, I, I know you, it's a Jordan Poole safe zone, I suppose, but like Malik Monk deserves Jordan Poole's contract and Jordan Poole deserves a vet man. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but those are basically my uh, my last thoughts on on this series on game two. I I just can't wait to watch the rest of it unfold. It's amazing. I think uh, I think Draymond Green could have like an all time game. He was kind of amping himself up for he, it. He was hyped. He, he was, like, it, it felt, it he felt was like hyped. he knew. <laughs> It felt like he knew before the call came that he was going to be ejected. So like, let me just make the most of this moment and just get into it with the crowd. He was, yeah, I, w- I wish, you know, mic'd up, mic'd up is never on the right guy. I don't want to mic'd up for whatever Draymond Green was saying when he walked back to the bench after stomping on uh, or stepping or stomping. I don't know. It depends which team you're rooting for uh, on, on Sabonis. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at my television right now and they're, they're replaying the step slash stomp over and over again. And it just, it looks worse every time I see it. I gotta be honest with you. Uh, that's, that's a shame. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We had you on The Answer a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the Sixers, actually. We were talking about Embiid. Uh, You wrote a great article about Embiid and his tendency to shoot over triple teams and, you know, just his overall decision-making when he's being doubled. You had some... You had some great stats on that that I think now everybody else is starting to use. Uh, just just the trendsetter that you are. Uh, but basically, you know, if Embiid passes out of the post, it is wildly more efficient than when he shoots uh, over defenders, even uh, when he's double teamed, even though he is incredibly efficient at doing that, even though that is still a very useful skill to have. And I imagine it'll be a useful skill to have mm-hmm. as the playoffs go on. Uh, but two games now, aside from... A couple moments in the first half of this game, 
did you picture Embiid's decision making being as perfect as it's been? <laughs> He's been good. He's been really good. Um, I wrote about this today on the ringer.com about how I liked Brooklyn's defensive strategy in game one. I thought it made a lot of sense. I thought they executed it really well. Uh, really limited Joel to relatively pedestrian numbers for him. I think he only made seven baskets in game one. He made six baskets in game two. Uh, eight turnovers. I know two were really late. But the secondary assists, the swing, swing, swing threes, the kicks to Tyrese Maxey and letting him get downhill. And like whenever Tyrese Maxey gets his next contract... 25% of it should go to Joel Embiid. I think Tyrese Maxey is really talented, but if you just watch how defenses guard the Sixers, like this guy gets wide open threes, wide open gaps to drive. He's so fast. He gets downhill, great finisher at the rim. He was just cooking tonight. And that's all really Embiid, honestly. And I thought his decision-making out of the double team, super patient, uh, yeah, he was picking them apart and it's like the Nets, I feel so bad for them because they execute really well and they have, I think like a smart <laughs> game plan, but like the margin for error is just like non-existent. And when you don't, sh what they shoot, like, I don't even know what they shoot. What did they shoot from the three point line? Like, I think they shot, they ended up having a bad shooting night. They right. shot 31% so from three. You have line. to hit threes. You have to defensive rebound, which is really difficult when you're scrambling around and double teaming Joel Embiid. Um, and then when he kicks it up and you're scrambling to try to close out on a shooter, like that dude's just going to crash the offensive glass and no one can box him out. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, like the margin forever for them is just so it's, it's tight. It's an eyelash. It is. It's negative. Yeah, you know, like they they just they can't make any mistakes. And even if they do, even if like like you said, they've executed reasonably well. I think going into this series, the only sort of tenable scenario for them was to double Embiid. Um, Nick Claxton, who I mean, in in any other series, I feel like he could shine mm -hmm. defensively, and we'd be talking about him, but. This is a really bad matchup for him. Uh, he he gave he gave up one point four points per per direct action or post up uh, against Embiid in um, in the regular season this uh, this year, and I don't feel like it's been That's much difference. A lot. It's just, it, it, in, in the playoffs. <laughs> it's just like it's it's a lie. It's a lot. I really I hate it for him. You know, it's just a bad matchup for him. You have to double him, and, and Claxton, by the way, is your best defender on him. It probably your second best defender would have been Ben Simmons, um, and after that, it's Dayron Sharp, who is six nine. Like it's just not. The Nets are not a big team. So they had to use this strategy. And I think it was the right strategy given, you know, things that like what, what you wrote about MB, just the way that his decision-making tends to be to take that mid-range shot. Um, the numbers say that that would be a W for them, but Instead, Embiid has just, I mean, like there hasn't been a defensive coverage that he hasn't picked apart in this series, right? Like whether it's like the the Spencer Dinwiddie coming over from, you know, from usually Ty Maxley, actually, mm -hmm. to your point. Um, 
and and trying to rush him. At this point, I'm like, does Embiid does Embiid have eyes behind his head? Because every time Spencer is about to rush him, I feel like he sees it and he prevents a turnover from happening. He surveys the court, he stands his ground, and he either finds the pass before the pass or he like makes a kick to the corner to an open guy. And then on the other end, like that third quarter uh, for the Sixers. They start off horrible. Uh, Doc calls a timeout within a minute. Then they come out. They start playing defense again. And they also just start making these incredible passes. They start sharing the ball. PJ Tucker, who was not having a great night, um, he pump fakes and hits Tobias for a layup. And this is two games now where I feel like PJ has done a really good job of making sure that he finds a way to be effective, even if his shot isn't necessarily falling. Like the first game, he was just yep. crashing the boards really hard. And and this game, like the amount of the amount of off-ball screens he was setting on the baseline to open up shooters, like pretty much every single time Embiid got doubled, he was there screening for an open shooter, just giving giving the Sixers an extra cha- uh, extra second to to swing the ball into the corner. And they didn't shoot that well in the first half. The shots started falling in the second half. This is the mo- this is the the best three-point shooting mm-hmm. team in the league uh, by percentage. So uh, that's they obviously aren't going to shoot like they shot in game one every game, but you know, them hitting shots is, is going to be something that we're going to see. So if Embiid keeps making decisions like this and I don't know, they're just kind of toasted. Yeah. I looked this up while you were, uh, while you were talking and the Sixers had their fourth highest shot quality of the entire season tonight. So the looks were tremendous. The Brooklyn Nets had their fourth worst shot quality performance of the season tonight. And Spencer Dinwiddie was just having a real rough one with his decision-making. Not great. I thought, you know, uh, this is a little random, but I just want to say like, I'm not a Tobias Harris fan. Um, Not really. I don't really like a lot of his game. I think he's ill-suited for his role. I've just been really impressed with how he's played in the series. Like he's done exactly what you need from someone in that position, just crashing the offensive glass, being super physical, um, limiting the ISO jumpers. He actually took two tonight and I cringe every time he does. He made one of them. So congratulations there, but hit, hit open shots, crash the offensive glass, create second chance opportunities, um, that should be his role. He should be like a more talented PJ Tucker on this team. And if he can do that going forward, it just kind of changes the dimensions for them on the offensive end and how effective they can be. Because I know we've been talking all like all this entire time about how the Nets have defended um Embiid, but like Philly's defense also just like destroyed the Nets tonight and the Nets really couldn't get anything. And like, besides Cam Johnson, just turning into a volcano in the first mm-hmm. half, uh, just a rough one from Brooklyn and Philly's defense was really impressive. Joel Embiid was really impressive. I thought protecting the rim, his mobility was tremendous up to touch on Mikael Bridges, DHOs and contesting and taking those away. Also, uh, yeah, I like is this series over, Sira? Do we is like I feel like this is just the most anticlimactic series right now, maybe besides Boston and Atlanta. Yeah, it's not only is it, you know, Philly's a much better team, they also just they win the matchup battle and the Nets just that's the Nets aren't very talented, you know? Um they just don't have enough. They played when you talk about their shot quality, they played an all-wing lineup 
for so much of, or a small ball lineup for so much of this game that put multiple shooters on the floor and still they could get nothing going. Still, I mean, I don't know what it is with Joe Harris and shooting in the playoffs, but that being bad is still a thing. Yeah, Joe. Um, Mikhail struggled from the field. He, they've, you know, I, f- I feel like after that second half and in, in after that first half in game one, they've just figured out a way to, to contain Mikhail. And I think I was pleasantly surprised by Mikhail's playmaking. I think that, it, you know, I think you wrote, you wrote something along the lines of him being able to basically just make progress on that learning curve. It's going to decide whether or not this is a series, but in reality, like <laughs> yeah. nobody else could make shots. Like there was, there was, he made a great p- pass to Nick Claxton at one point and Claxton just bumped into George Niang and lost the ball. And like, look, George Niang is not the type of guy that you should be bumping into and losing <laughs> the ball. This isn't, this isn't a, a, a Kavon Looney, Draymond Green, Green situation with, uh, with Niang there. So yeah, they just, they just don't have a lot going for them right now in this series. And I just don't, I don't see a way out. I think probably the best coverage was them going really small and yes. fronting Embiid. Yes. Yeah. And then kind of making somebody else make a play, not getting the ball into the post to him. I think though, like, I don't know. I think Philly will analyze the tape and James Harden will realize that he has to drive the ball to, to the rim a little bit more. I think if the, if there is something interesting to pivot to here, I think watching this series has made me a little bit concerned for Philly down the line. Um, Harden from, you know, anywhere that isn't a three-point line has been a concern. Uh, he has not been able to get around Cam Johnson or Bridges. Not to say that those are easy guys to get around, but he also hasn't really been able to get around Doran Finney-Smith. And, you know, the guys waiting for him in the second round, presumably, are Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum and Derek White and Marcus Smart. And that's just going to be... I'm just going to take a guess and, and say that it's going to be harder. It probably will be harder, yeah. Um, three for 13 for tonight for James Harden, five turnovers, uh, just doesn't look, I mean, he had the Achilles thing, the foot thing at the end of the season after playing like 47 minutes in a loss against the Chicago Bulls, um, in March and just hasn't looked great. Doesn't look explosive. Can't really get downhill with any lift whatsoever. Um, you know, when he hunts Joe Harris, when he hunts, uh, any Seth Curry, um, looks okay. But like you said, going forward, like going up against more capable defenses that don't have weak spots, it's just going to be really tough for him. And maybe you don't need Harden to be, you know, this ISO machine to make a finals run. But I think... Like you even saw in the the last time that the Sixers played the Celtics when Embiid had that like fifty two point explosion, like towards the end of that game they were trying to get Harden to try to finish over the top and were basically giving him driving lanes, and you're gonna see a lot of that in that series. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, even though that just seems like such a likely matchup. But I, I, I don't know. Like, will the Celtics just switch? and double and kind of um, muck things up as the Nets have done defensively, but not as aggressively. And then just force Harden to be more locked in as a scorer in the series. It'll be really interesting. I haven't really given that series, that matchup too much thought, uh, but 
I don't know. I feel like the Nets can maybe win steal game three or four if the Sixers just go cold and Cam and Mikhail and Spencer Dinwiddie and Royce O'Neal doesn't go two for 11. They hit their outside shots. They take care of the glass. Uh, could win one. Maybe we'll see. But like we said earlier, like the margin is just so slim. Joel is just so dominant. If you don't double on the positions where they don't double him, it's just like it's an automatic bucket at the rim or he draws a foul every single time. So I totally understand the strategy. It's just you're at the mercy of the number one three-point shooting team in the league when you do that. Yeah, I think I mean I think if they want to steal a game, they have to get Spencer going somehow. And I think they tried to do that at the start of this game, but the way that it happened was trying to get him post-ups on Tyrese Maxey, <laughs> which I mean if you looked at the if you looked at how that went in game one, it makes a little bit of sense. Um, Maxi, you know, I think he fouled him a couple of times. He's just smaller than him. He's not as, I mean, he's young, uh, but Maxi did a much better job on Spencer. He had like probably one of his best games, of, you know, ever. Like if you look at it two way, right. Um, Cause that was kind of just a question with him as well. And I think it will still be a question going forward, but him being able to handle Spencer early, I think that really just got the nets out of a groove, like, immediately because it was like, why are we opening the game with these Spencer Dinwiddie isolations? I mean, it's like you look at the roster and besides Bridges, who's tremendous, but I think a little limited as a playmaker, even though I thought he made some pretty good passes and nice reads tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just like, where else do you go besides Dinwiddie? He's your primary ball handler. And down the stretch of the season, like he was diming people up. He was driving, kicking. He was, uh, I think he had like the second most quarter three assists um, after the all-star break. Like just really nobody fact check me on that. It's one thirty-five AM where I am, but I'm going to just say that that's a true statement. And like the roster is just so limited in terms of who can, create plays off the bounce for others. Like Dorian Finney Smith, God bless him. Like when he mm-hmm. drives a Joel Embiid closeout, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Probably not something great. Uh, <laughs> not a pass <laughs> yeah, for the most part. So it's, uh, you know, it, it is what this roster is. Like they traded Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and they got back spare parts, talented pieces, but spare parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't know. It's like, it's a transitionary kind of phase right now for this roster and this organization. And it's tough. Like Spencer needs to be better, but he's kind of forced to do more than he's capable of. If that makes sense. This is very true. This is very true. They just don't, I mean, I I think looking towards their off season, they're going to want to add some playmaking. And I think, I think they're also one of these teams that have enough, kind of gunner is that if they do add some playmaking, then everything else can fall into place and it could be an interesting team next season. Uh, but that is getting, getting way ahead of things. Uh, do you have an over under for how many lob passes are, are going to be a misconnection to Nick Claxton for the rest of the series? I swear. Like I've never seen anything like this. Like Spencer Dinwiddie lobs to Nick Claxton are just <laughs> how many have hit the backboard and just missed his hands entirely. Like four? There's one in game one that wasn't even Spencer, but because Spencer <laughs> threw so many, I think it just got in our in our minds. It was it's it's like all on him. There was a Dorian Finney Smith one, uh, just to be okay, accurate. Fair. But yes, yes, <laughs> that's a tough one. They got to clean that up. Uh, you know, I thought that 
I think I picked Sixers in five. I, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But I thought that the Nets would. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, that's a lie. I did not think the Nets would be super competitive in this series. Like, I think they would, I thought their offense would be a little bit more efficient than it was tonight and mm-hmm. that they would be able to hit some of the open shots, particularly Royce O'Neill had so many good looks um, that just wouldn't fall in the second half. But yeah, I guess, you know, the Nets are, they're feisty and they're trying really mm-hmm. hard and they're scrappy and they remind me of what the Brooklyn Nets were the last time they played the Philadelphia 76ers in a playoff series when they had D'Angelo Russell and a younger Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. Another Sixer series. Exactly, exactly. So it's just, yeah. it's, and they're just not as talented. So that's where we are yeah. with this matchup right now. Yeah, I thought that they would be able to beat them with speed a little bit more than they have. That is kind of the Sixers Achilles heel. And it looked like in, in the first half when you they have were running yeah. sort of all this action between Joe. Yeah, they were running and you have a whole bunch of action between like Joe Harris and, and Seth Curry and Cam Johnson. And it seems like the Sixers just can't get out to the shooters and they have, you know, they also, the Sixers aren't the deepest team and they also do have, you know, they have some weaknesses in their perimeter defense that I thought that they'd be able to take more advantage of, but it feels like outside of Harden, who also put up a better effort today than he did in game one, um, they just weren't able to exploit that. And I do think some of that is just shots missing. So maybe like that's the avenue towards a win, in my opinion. Like that's, it's like a, it's a small lineup. You front and bead, you, you run and you hit a bunch of threes, but that's not really sustainable either. So yeah. And anyway, do you have any more, any more thoughts on this series? Um, have we ringed it dry? I think, I think so. I think we're beating a dead horse now. I'm sorry to the Brooklyn Nets. I just don't see the path to, uh, to winning this one. I mean, it's still probably better than the Kyrie Irving saga was. So you know. <laughs> It sure is. It yeah. sure is. There's that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for, for joining. Uh, we are going to be coming at you guys pretty much every Monday night through, uh, the rest of the postseason. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chris Sutton, for producing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And Mike, I'll talk to you next week.